good day. Thank you for standing by. And welcome to the Planet Fitness Inc. Second Quarter 2021 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during that session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Please be advised that today's call is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. Thank you. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Ms. Stacy Caravella. The floor is yours. Thank you, Operator, and good afternoon, everyone. Speaking on today's call will be Planet Fitness Chief Executive Officer Chris Rondo and Chief Financial Officer Tom Fitzgerald. We also have Dorvin Lively, President of Planet Fitness, on the line, who will be available for questions during the Q&A session following the prepared remarks. Today's call is being webcast live and recorded for replay. Before I turn the call over to Chris, I would like to remind everyone that the language on forward-looking statements included in our earnings release also applies to our comments made during this call. Our release can be found on our website, investor.planetfitness.com, along with any reconciliation of non-GAAP financial measures mentioned on the call with their corresponding GAAP measures. Now I will turn the call over to Chris. Thank you, Stacey, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today for Planet Fitness' Q2 earnings call. It's a testament to the strength of our brand that more than 13 million people remain committed members of Planet Fitness in the depths of a global pandemic when most of our gyms were temporarily closed. Our membership momentum continues to defy our historical seasonal patterns, and through July, we had more than 15 million members. We have regained approximately 75% of the members we lost from our peak in Q1 2020 to our low in Q4 2020. I have never seen this type of unseasonable membership growth in my nearly 30 years at Planet. And some of our larger franchisees who have been with us for a good portion of that time are also amazed at the positive trends that they're seeing across their portfolios. And today, with nearly all our stores reopened, existing members are re-engaging with us, and new members are joining at, at unprecedented rates. As they all realize the importance of fitness to their overall wellness, we're in the business of helping people feel better and get healthy, and that's what they're seeking right now a community-based support system, and a judgment-free environment combined with an incredible membership value proposition. COVID hit the U.S. hard. The country came into the pandemic with more than 70% of adults over the age of 20 considered overweight or obese, one of the top risk factors for severe illness from COVID. In fact, life expectancy in America fell by 1.5 years in 2020 due to the pandemic and other residual impacts, the largest single-year decline since World War II. A Kaiser Health study showed that people who regularly exercised had the best chance of beating COVID, while people who were inactive did much worse. And most importantly, physical activity makes people feel better, not only physically, but also mentally. We believe the unseasonable momentum in our membership gains is fueled by people recognizing the importance of self-care. 
Our messaging to consumers is about taking the first step by getting off the couch and getting into a fitness routine. Our national NACE sale of one month free and no commitment removes all the barriers to doing so. As a result, total net member growth in May was three times our growth in May 2019. In June, we ran a black heart flash sale, and for the month, net member growth was nearly 20 times what we saw in June 2019, during which we ran a similar offer. For the quarter, net member growth in Q2 not only exceeded Q1 net growth, it doubled what we saw in Q2 2019. We ended Q2 with more than 14.8 million members. Exceeding 15 million members with our July national sale is truly remarkable for our brand when you consider the state of our business in the second quarter of 2020. We had approximately 30% of our stores temporarily closed and negative net membership growth. In just 12 months, our business has rebounded, and importantly, our franchisees are very excited about the trends in the future. It's hard to predict whether these unseasonable joins will continue for the rest of the year, but we believe that people are recognizing the importance of taking better care of themselves. The trends in our business attest to this. In addition to the strength of our joins in June, attrition and usage are normalizing, and in some cases exceeding our 2019 level, both on a regional and age demographic basis. During June, we began to see certain key metrics in our business returning to nearly pre-COVID levels. National usage trending up during the quarter, ending June at nearly 90% of 2019 levels. Usage in June for all demographics was nearly back to a typical pre-COVID month, with only boomers trailing. However, it is still trending upward for that age group. Our last group of reopenings are returning to pre-pandemic performance levels faster than those that reopened back in 2020 as people begin to return to more normal activities. While COVID had a temporary impact on our business, there are areas that the pandemic accelerated, such as our digital strategy. When we shut down our stores last year, we quickly shifted to keeping our members engaged digitally with free workouts offered via the web and our mobile app. And as we announced last quarter, we strengthened our partnership with iFit to unlock future opportunities to further accelerate our digital content strategy. App adoption by our members is nearly 60% having grown from 40% in Q4 2020. During Q3, we planned a role of a referral friend incentive program through the app. During the second quarter, we hired the Chief Digital Officer, Cheryl Kaplan, to lead our bricks to click strategy. We believe that the future of the fitness industry is about providing people with a high-quality in-person experience coupled with the ability to engage and service them outside our four walls. We're providing them with many other benefits as well as differentiated premium content to make it even easier to get the most of the membership. We believe that there may be an opportunity for us to aggregate other wellness categories into our app at a disruptive value, all geared towards casual first-timers. We continue to pilot PF Plus in a limited number of stores to test price elasticity included as a bundled offering with our Blackheart membership. We expect to run this test for the rebalance of 2021 and look forward to sharing more on possible offerings in early 2022. In June, nearly 40% of PF Plus subscribers joined our bricks and mortar locations underscoring that consumers want a more omni-channel fitness experience. I am proud of the efforts our franchisees, headquarters staff, and club staff who persevered during the pandemic to keep our system strong, and I am very excited to now have nearly all our stores reopened. There's a dislocation in the fitness industry, with 22% of the gyms permanently closed due to the financial impact from COVID through the second quarter, while at the same time, more Americans are realizing that fitness is essential to physical, mental, and emotional well-being. After shutdowns, quarantines, and isolation, they are seeking a sense of community. We believe we are a place that fills that need with our affordable, non-committing workout environment that gets people moving in confidence as they go on vacations again, head back to the office, or see family and friends they haven't seen in a long time. Importantly, 
our franchisees believe this as well. As a result, we now expect to be at the high end of our 75 to 100 new store openings range for 2021, reflecting their growing confidence in the strength of our business and near-term growth prospects. Tom will get into more specifics on our outlook for the balance of the year in his remarks. We also announced today that we signed an agreement to accelerate growth in Mexico with a joint venture made up of a prominent local retail services company and one of our largest U.S. developers. The agreement is for a minimum of 80 new stores over the next five years in addition to the five stores we currently have in Mexico. I am extremely pleased that we have added 1.5 million members in the first seven months of this year. With nearly one quarter of all gyms closed due to COVID, I believe that the opportunity in front of us is significant. With so much potential given the changing market dynamics and the tailwinds behind the health and wellness, the 4,000-plus long-term domestic store opportunity looks better and better. I always knew that we would come out of the pandemic even stronger, but the pace is even faster than I expected. I always come back to the fact that we are a purpose-led brand on a mission to change people's lives better, which is what the U.S. and the world needs more than ever. I'll now turn the call over to Tom. Thanks, Chris, and good afternoon, everyone. Before I get into the review of our financials, I want to touch on a couple of key topics, starting with store expansion. During the quarter, we opened 24 new stores, bringing our total count to 2,170. As Chris said, we now expect to be at the top end of the 75 to 100 new store range for the year, reflecting the growing confidence of our franchisees to accelerate their development plans. It also reflects the strengthening of their balance sheets. Several franchisee groups are taking advantage of the increased supply of real estate. As a reminder, we don't typically go after the real estate from gyms that have closed. We look for big box retailers that occupy a 20,000 square foot space. We believe we're even more attractive to landlords given that no Planet Fitness locations permanently closed because of the pandemic, which strengthened our position as a tenant of choice. We're not necessarily seeing rents come down yet, but we are hearing from franchisees that landlords are sometimes offering more tenant improvement dollars. In general, we are seeing a more favorable real estate market and historically unseizable membership trends, which have been the catalyst for some of our franchisees to accelerate their development pipelines. I would categorize franchisee sentiment as bullish as membership levels continue to climb. Next, I want to elaborate on Chris's comments about the state of our business last year in the second quarter. As previously mentioned on last quarter's call, we are not reporting a Q2 system-wide same-store sales growth number due to the fact that the majority of our stores were not billing in the prior year period. We assume we will resume reporting system-wide same-store sales in the third quarter. As a reminder, our same-store sales results are a function of the change in membership trends over the trailing 12 months compared to the year-ago period. As of the end of Q2, we had six consecutive months of sequential net member growth, but our membership levels were still below prior year. Black card penetration increased to 62.6%, up 191 basis points to last year, contributing to continued growth in average monthly rate. Now I'll turn to our Q2 financial results. Total revenue increased $97 million, or 241.1%, to $137.3 million from $40.2 million in the prior year period. The increase was driven by revenue growth across all three segments. The increase in franchise segment revenue was primarily due to growth in royalties, NAF, and franchise and other fees primarily attributable to COVID-related temporary store closures in Q2 last year. 
The increase in revenue in the corporate store segment was also primarily due to COVID-related temporary store closures, as well as the impact of seven new corporate stores opened compared to Q2 2020. Equipment segment revenue increases were driven by higher equipment sales to new and existing franchise-owned stores due in part to temporary store closures related to COVID last year. Our cost of revenue, which primarily relates to the direct cost of equipment sales to new and existing franchise-owned stores, amounted to $18.5 million compared to $8.5 million a year ago. Store operation expenses, which relate to our corporate-owned store segment, were $28.4 million compared to $14.7 million in Q2 last year. The increase was primarily attributable to lower operating and payroll expenses last year with the COVID-related temporary closures, along with higher expenses with the new stores we opened in the last 12 months. SG&A for the quarter was $21.8 million compared to $15.9 million a year ago. The increase was driven by higher incentive and stock-based compensation, travel expenses, and expenses associated with our mobile app compared with the prior year period. National Advertising Fund expense was $13.5 million compared to $10.9 million in the prior year period. Adjusted EBITDA was $55.6 million compared to a loss of $9.3 million in the prior year period. A reconciliation of adjusted EBITDA to GAAP net income or loss can be found in the earnings release. By segment, franchise adjusted EBITDA was $51.8 million. Corporate store adjusted EBITDA was $10.4 million, and equipment adjusted EBITDA was $5.6 million. Adjusted net income was $18.2 million, and adjusted net income for diluted share was $0.21. Cents. Now turning to the balance sheet. As of June 30, 2021, we had total cash of $527.4 million compared to $515.8 million on December 31, 2020. This was comprised of cash and cash equivalents of $469.1 million compared to $439.5 million and $58.2 million and $76.3 million of restricted cash, respectively, in each period. Total long-term debt, excluding financing costs, was $1.78 billion as of June 30, consisting of our three tranches of securitized debt and $75 million of variable funding notes. Our securitized debt structure is covenant-like. We have two maintenance covenants, a debt service coverage ratio, and a total system-wide sales threshold. These are both tested quarterly, calculated on a trailing 12-month basis, and reported on a roughly two-month lag. In our most recent debt covenant reporting period of June 5, 2021, we had a 13% and an 81% cushion to the first triggering event for our debt service coverage ratio and system-wide sales covenant, respectively. We believe we have sufficient headroom for our two maintenance covenants, especially now with nearly all of our stores open. Additionally, I'd like to point out that this was the final reporting period with Q2 2020, included in our trailing 12-month calculation. This was our toughest quarter financially last year, and as a result, we believe it was a trough from a DFCR standpoint. Now to our outlook for the balance of 2021. With vaccines readily available across the nation, strong membership growth trends, and just under five months remaining in this year, we have better insight into what we believe our performance will be across key metrics. However, I'd like to note that our current view for 2021 assumes there is no major resurgence of COVID that causes member disruptions, whether via shutdowns or more stringent mask mandates, 
that result in a significant change in membership trends, particularly as the Delta variant is causing case counts to spike across the U.S. We have already discussed that we expect to be at the high end of our 75 to 100 new store opening range. As a reminder, last quarter we noted that we expect equipment replacement to be approximately 50% of our total equipment revenue this year. We continue to believe this will be the case. With respect to our corporate store segment, it's important to note that our corporate clubs are primarily in markets that were most impacted by temporary shutdowns from COVID and were in the group of stores that were temporarily closed the longest, which, as we've said, is the biggest factor impacting a store's recovery to pre-COVID levels. Additionally, the vast majority of our corporate stores are mature stores. Therefore, we expect lower revenue and profit for the balance of this year and into next year for our corporate store segment compared to 2019 levels. We still believe in the strategic importance and viability of our corporate store portfolio. It will just take a longer period of time for those stores to return to the previous financial performance levels. Now let's turn to SG&A. There are two drivers for increased SG&A spend versus 2019. First, our investments into future growth engines for the business, including our bricks with click strategy, IT infrastructure, and franchise marketing. For example, as Chris mentioned, on digital, we have a new chief digital officer who is leading our efforts for an omni-channel experience for our members. From a marketing perspective, we have invested to promote our app, support California store reopenings, and participate in lobbying efforts for the fitness industry. A second driver is compensation, including having additional leadership positions as well as typical compensation growth. So when you take all of this together, we believe that our full year revenue will be between 530 and 540 million. We expect SGNA to be in the low $90 million range. We believe adjusted EBITDA will be between 200 and 210 million. And we expect that adjusted earnings per share will be between 65 cents and 70 cents. Finally, our pace of recovery has been faster than we expected, and our membership growth is highly encouraging. As I mentioned earlier, our same-store sales results are a function of the change in membership levels over the trailing 12 months compared to the prior year period. We cycle the most significant member declines in Q3. We expect that our same-store sales will become positive given our expectation that Q3 membership growth and membership levels will exceed that of last year. However, I want to reiterate that this outlook assumes there is not another prolonged operational setback, whether through MAP mandates, temporary shutdowns, or other less tangible ways that COVID can affect the American psyche and, in turn, our business. But we know that our business model is resilient, and while the near term is somewhat difficult to predict, we believe that we are well-positioned financially and strategically to capitalize on the value-creating opportunities emerging as the country comes out of the pandemic. And with that, I'll turn it over to the operator for Q&A. As a reminder, to ask a question, you may press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Again, that is star 1 on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, you may press the pound key. Let us stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the Anheim Buckle from Guggenheim. Your line is now open. 
Chris, uh, given what's happening uh, with membership, what do you think about promotional activity that you're going to run between now and year end? Is it, you're more inclined to be more promotional because members would re, would respond, or, or do you need, can you be less because they're naturally coming back? That's a good question. Yeah, right now we have nothing outside of the norm from a marketing standpoint or scheduling. It looks pretty pretty similar to last, so not last year, years in the past. Um, so regular cadence. Um, but what's really interesting, and you, you kind of mentioned on your on your your question, is that. Um, what's more intriguing, actually, is the kind of the natural organic demand we're seeing on off-promo days. Um, it's, it's quite remarkable, something I wouldn't have seen before. It's um, Even off-promo days, the demand is just, you know, it's just there regardless. So it's um, so we'll do a normal case of marketing, but um, but the membership is extremely strong right now um, in, all, in all generations. And maybe secondly, right, when you, when you think about um, the black card pricing test, you're going about that pretty deliberately, uh, I think, compared to the last two increases, right? Right. I think you tested it for a couple of months and then went with it. Is that is that because of COVID, or is that because you're trying to figure out whether people will pay for the digital content and whether you want to include it in the black card pricing or do it separately? Um, I'd say a little bit of both. I mean, it's, it's in pilot, you know, for that reason, so we can test whether it's, you know, is the 24.99 the right number. Um, is it more? Is it less? Uh, is digital driving some acquisition, you know, higher acquisition or not? Um, or at least maintaining the same black card percentage um, through the higher increase in rates. So um, a little bit of all that, John. Um, but I think we'll always have the PS Plus digital separate and apart from the black card bundle. Um, I think for a few reasons. Uh, I think one, we've seen that people are doing PS Plus and then migrating into bricks and mortar, and about 40% of the, the non Bricks and Mortar members who have subscribed to the PF Plus have gone on to join Bricks and Mortar after, so it's definitely kind of they're dipping their toe in the water and then they're converting to a Bricks and Mortar after the fact, which is encouraging. It's really only the marketing vehicle for us. Um, but it also sets a, a bar of, of perceived value so that when you get the bundle, it looks like a, even a better a better deal with the bundle because you see the, the off-the-street price. So I think we'll always have um, always have both. Okay, thank you. So, thank you. Next question is from the line of Randy Connick from Jeffries. Your line is now open. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot. So I have a question, one for Chris and one for Tom. I guess, Chris, in the, in the uh, press release, you talk about having confidence uh, in meeting uh, and possibly exceeding your long-term uh, target of 4,000 locations in the United States. Can, so can you elaborate a little bit more? Because I think you're getting more kind of bullish about the long-term unit potential, especially as your, um, your competitors are closing. So just more color there would be super helpful. And I guess, Tom, um, uh, when I look at the uh, EBITDA dollar guidance uh, at the high end for the year, it implies an EBITDA margin of about 39%, I believe. And your prior peak in EBITDA margin, I believe, was in 2017 at 43%. So just want to get some color on how we should be thinking about uh, a, a little bit more into the medium term around uh, where the oper- EBITDA margins should really sit for the business uh, and, and, and to know if the elevated SGA in 2021 uh, will, will subside in growth, uh, growth rate in 2022, i.e., we should see some EBITDA margin expansion next year. Just curious on that. Thanks, guys. Sure. Thanks, Randy. This is Chris. Um, yeah, that 4,000 potential, you know, you probably heard of us talk in the past, even pre COVID, where you know, we were, you know, most of our new unit sales um, for franchise development 
were in existing territories that we had already sold probably eight years ago. Um, and we might have sold it for 10 stores in a county, and we, we know a lot, more, a lot more now than we did back then. And, uh, and franchisees are coming to us, and, you know, we thought it would hold 10, and now it holds 14 based on what we know today. So we were always already thinking that the 4,000 might be on the lower side of what the potential is. Now, coming out of COVID, I think we quite a few things going on. You know, on top of the, the 22% of the industry was shut down, which is, which is, which is amazing. Out of the 41,000 stores, I think 22% have shut down. And, and that does skew um, higher in the boutique arena um, as opposed to full-service gyms. Um, it's about uh, it's about 14% of gyms have closed, but about 27% of boutiques have closed. So it does skew higher boutiques. But nonetheless, this 22% of, of gyms are no longer in business. So you have that on top of, you know, I think what we're seeing here with the organic growth I mentioned is just, it's just the demand, I think, coming out of COVID of people realizing, um, you know, everything you see points to the fact through COVID that, you know, being overweight or out of shape or not taking care of your health is one of the contributing factors of hospitalization and, and unfortunate death. So I think people are really paying attention to their health and wellness more so coming out of this. So I think the industry has a huge tailwind coming out of this probably for many years ahead. I, I think it's, I think we're going to see something probably the industry hasn't seen before. Um, so I think your question, I think there's no doubt with gyms closed down, um, the strength of our model, you know, the fact that we're going after casual first-timers, and 40% of our joints still today have no going to a gym in their life, and that holds true, too, for the second quarter. So, um, you know, we're really getting people off the couch for the first time, you know, and, and it's in those are the people who need the most help. And, and also, as, as we all know, in, in um, less fortunate neighborhoods, they're also more affected by COVID, and 25% of our gyms are in neighborhoods that the government classifies as low income. So we're definitely feeling a need here, and, and I, I believe the 4,000 probably is on the light side. So I think once all this dust settles, it's probably something we're going to have to um, study up on to see where we think the potential is once, um, once the dust settles out of us. And hey, Randy, on the, on the P&L question, I think, um, you know, I think as we come through this with the different puts and takes by segment, you know, we talked about the corporate store segment um, being in, in, in the markets that were affected longer. Um, so that certainly, you know, has, has an impact there. And also the franchise segment, you know, our membership levels while rebounding, you know, are still um, uh, have been rebounding more recently where in 2019 they were kind of pretty strong right from the start. So it's a bit of a timing based on the subscription model, but we don't see anything you kind of, you know, in the, in the near term, longer term, that structurally inhibits us from getting back to our 2019 uh, EBITDA margin levels uh, of 43. It is a little bit of kind of the depressed revenues in the near term, and some of the some of the changes across our three segments. Um, I think when you think about SG&A, though, you know, we do. Um, as Chris mentioned, you know, we, we have made some incremental investments both in terms of people, uh, systems, and marketing to support our app back to our bricks and click strategy. I think in the main we run the we run the business with a pretty frugal mindset, but where we think there's an opportunity to invest in, you know, we're gonna do that. So I think it's it's a balance of being frugal where um, uh you know, where we should, and also being thoughtful about the investments we need to make to really power up what we see as a big opportunity. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Next question is from Oliver Chen from Cowan. Your line is now open. Hi, thank you. Um, Chris and Tom, it sounded like the membership trends were running better than you expected given uh, your prepared remarks. Uh, what drove that upside, you know, relative 
your expectations. Uh, and then second, on, on the bricks and click strategy, uh, what are you most excited about? Why was now the right time for a chief digital officer? And how might this impact uh, the models and, and membership and or churn? Um, just what, what generally is on the roadmap? Thank you. Sure. Thanks, Oliver. I'm hearing good. Um, on the on the growth in the membership, you know what's what's really driving this today, and what we typically see, um, you know, after really after the month of April, honestly, in mature stores, you know, mature store would, would typically you know not grow at all pretty much the rest of the year after the winter growth months, and in a lot of cases, Oliver, the mature stores would actually decline slightly throughout the rest of the year. So. What we're seeing now, which is something we've never seen before, is that the mature stores are growing in a time of year that they typically don't, really. So they add a lot of new members in the first quarter, call it even through April, and then they either maintain or retract some over the rest of the year. But for the year, they're ahead, but, you know, they, they lose some throughout the rest of the year. We're not seeing that right now. We're actually seeing that even the mature stores continue to grow in months that they typically don't grow. So that's really what's driving that. Um, so that, that organic demand in the sale periods are, are extremely strong, um, which is something else to see. I mean, in the month of June or July to grow like that is just something we've never could have had. Usually, this industry we hold on for dear life in the summertime, <laughs> honestly. And uh, it's, uh, it's it's amazing to see something this time of year. Um, I think with the bricks and clips, you know, and it's and it's really still in the infancy straight stage here. But you know, I think it's many years to follow. But it, um, you know, and I've said this in the previous calls. It's you know, if you think about this industry, we we open our doors and we turn the lights on and let somebody use the facility, we don't offer them anything, right? We, they pay us every month. We don't give them any service outside the four walls. So I think in, in any way we can provide them some level of service um, and engagement outside our four walls, as well as inside, but outside the four walls, can only help with customer satisfaction and ultimately only help with retention and stickiness. So, um, And that's why you know it's a great platform as it is now, but it's really just the beginning of, um, the platform that's built to be able to add more and more to it. And now it's strictly just exercise, but there's nutrition I've always mentioned in meditation. Is there self-help? Is there help with sleeping? And it goes on and on with the platform. But even just, you know, the way people are engaging with us, I mean, the way they're joining now, it's 65 to 70% of our joints are digitally, either through the website or through the app. And in 2019, that number was 30, 35%. So even just the way people are joining is, is much, much higher than, than we've seen um, in, in the years past by level double. So, um, people are just, the world's changed. I think this is something that's going to stick around with us. So, um, and now we're offering the upgrades in the app and we're offering refer our friends in the app, which is a, a nationwide promotion going with that. We're a formal way that a member can refer somebody through the app and get credit for that referral and reward them for that referral, which is something that never existed before until we, we had this app and, and launched this platform. So, um, it's just a way I think that for us to be able to engage our member and provide them more, um, and get more. So it's, um, it can only help, I think, with satisfaction as the customer goes and only drive stickiness longer term. Thank you, Chris. And lastly, usage. Um, how has usage trended, and what are your expectations there and, and what you're seeing um, nationally and or regionally? Thank you. Yeah, we ended, we ended June with about 90% of 2019 levels, so almost back to normal. Um, many of the generations are, are back to pre-COVID. The boomers are still lagging some. Um, but they're trending in the right direction now, which is great. So we're um, we're almost back to what we normally see. And usage is Thanks. about the same too. Yeah, usage is about the same too. About the average members using it about six times per month. Okay, perfect. Thanks. You. Thank you very much. Best regards. Thanks, Oliver. Thanks, Oliver. Next is from the line of Joe Altabello from Raymond James. You may ask your question. 
Hey, guys, this is actually Adam on for Joe. Um, I, I know you mentioned that the guidance assumes, uh, I guess, there was nothing unexpected in the form of, like, shutdowns or mask mandates, et cetera, um, all that being quite unpredictable and dynamic. Um, that said, have you seen any impact uh, on membership so far? And I know it's early from Delta in recent weeks, either, you know, the pace of new joins or cancels. It may have maybe too recent to even be able to pick up on those trends, but have you guys seen anything on that regard? Yeah, no, we haven't been watching it closely because we did see some of that reaction back to the member free call last summer when some of the things were spiking in August and stuff. We saw some of the market react to that, but we're not seeing that with the Delta virus um, nationally or regionally. Okay, that's encouraging. And uh, and one more if I could. Um, I believe, uh, you know, New York City imposed a rule requiring proof of vaccination to enter gyms. Um, do you think that prospect um, might slow membership or store growth in any way in the near term? Um, I mean, it could. We haven't seen it yet, but it's it just definitely a little bit of a hurdle here for people to work out. But um, the good question is how long it goes on for, you know. Um, but we haven't seen it affect things yet. Um, out of the entire portfolio, um, we only have about 95 clubs that are masked all the time and about 31 clubs that are masked um, while not while exercising but while walking around. So uh, it's not it's not as broad as, as you might think, um, especially in the Northeast of you here. Got it. Thanks, Chris, and congrats on the encouraging membership trend. Thank you. Next is from Jonathan Conn. Please also state your company name. Your line is now open. Yeah, hi, thanks. It's John Kampf from Baird. Um, I want to follow up maybe a, a little bit of a bigger picture question, but as you look at the momentum and the membership you're seeing and the, the bullish tone that you cited, how do you think about whether you're doing enough to stay ahead of some of your competition? I know you've cited some of the met metrics for gyms that have closed, but um, there, there's other of your peers that are seeing similar trends. So maybe just do you think you're doing enough to stay ahead? And, and as you think about plans to stay ahead, how should you share those costs or those investments between Planet and your franchisees? Yeah, good question. We, you know, you might recall last, um, uh, tail end of last year, we actually put in some, about $10 million of corporate marketing dollars just to reinforce the NAP and to kind of supercharge it to get it going. Um, we don't see the need to do that just yet or right now. Um, not that we wouldn't. Um, I'd definitely keep the optionality open there, but I don't see, um, right now with the, the way the membership trend is, is heading and, and how fast it's growing. And as you know, John, the, the, the NAP and the last spend, the national advertising fund, the local advertising, is 9% of the membership dollars. So the faster that the membership increases, the quicker those dollars replenish and get larger. So right now we see um, no reason to do that just yet. And, and there's no doubt that, you know, our our you know, our excitement about the membership growth is definitely shared with the franchisees. You know, the amount of text messages I get and emails about people saying they, they couldn't believe what they're seeing in the month of July or June. So that's really what we've said this all along. That's really what the franchisees need to see to get – um, you know, re replace their balance sheets, but also feel confident enough that it's time to it's time to start moving here and start to start negotiating leases and get clubs open. So, um, which you know, hence why we went to the top high range of our 75 to 100. Which, you know, as this goes through, you know, put the, the Delta virus side of us for a minute, because who knows what happens? And I don't, I don't feel that it will go um, go crazy on us, but. The, um, you know, as long as it holds true, there's no reason why we shouldn't start seeing some, you know, really good growth here, utilize the next next few years here, now that franchisees are out looking at real estate. Yeah, that's great. Maybe one follow-up then is as we think about 
trying to model out the equipment revenue in the in the years ahead. Just thinking, you know, 2019, I think it was close to 250 million. Any broad stroke thoughts about how we should think about next year for that? Yeah, John, it's Tom. We're we're really not commenting on um, 2022 at this point. Um, you know, we'll do that on our year end call. Um, but I think, you know, once uh, all these extensions have um, kind of run their course, you know, uh, we expect uh, that at some time in 2022 we'll be back on kind of a normal rhythm, um, assuming there's no disruption with COVID. Uh, but sometime in 2022, back on a normal rhythm uh, in terms of both store development and re-equip cycles. Okay, thank you very much. You bet. Thanks, John. Next is from John Ivanko from J.P. Morgan. United not open. Um, hi, thank you. Um, maybe the increase um, or to the, the top end of the uh, unit development range to some extent is the answer. But can you comment on um, how year one volumes are doing? I mean, if you were to look at, you know, for example, you know, the stores that are open, you know, in the last 12 months, how they've been doing, you know, relative to previous years, uh, you know, and I'm especially interested uh, on the 2021 uh, openings, uh, you know, specifically how those, uh, you know, those have come relative to, uh, to years past. Yeah, hey, John, it's Tom. I'll start and, and, and maybe others will add. So I think in terms of if we wind the clock back, you know, the stores that opened last year were, were clearly soft to any historical norms. The stores that opened more in, in Q4 started to get closer to what we would normally expect and the stores that we open this year are above expectations when it comes to, to the first year, first months in the first year of ramping. So, you know, very encouraging. And, again, it's, it's yet another kind of uh, green signal that our franchisees are seeing that gets them very bullish. And uh, above expectations, I mean, would that mean that you're, for example, higher than your 2019 class or, you know, there's still you know, some, some drag in the new unit volume? Higher. Okay, uh, that's uh, that's fantastic. Thank you. Yep. Next is from Simeon Siegel from BMO Capital Markets. Your line is now open. Thanks, hey everyone. Congrats on the ongoing progress. Um, Chris, sorry if I missed. I think you touched on it, but can you speak to the composition of the new members? Uh, is it change versus pre-COVID? I think you mentioned the forty percent first-timers. Um, but can you maybe speak to the percent coming from competitor closures or reactivations from your own COVID lapsed customers? And then, um, Tom, can you guys give the average royalty rate? I think you normally give that. So sorry if I missed that. Thanks. Yeah, our rejoins are uh, still running. Uh, they were in the first quarter. About 30% of our joins are rejoins. So the members of us in the past have come back, and that typically runs about 20%. So it's quite a bit higher than what we've seen in the years past. Um, about 3% of the joins are coming from closed competition today. Um, and you're right, about 40% are first-timers coming to us uh, from the couch, essentially. Um, and, and the Gen Z population is definitely still joining at a, um, a rate that we haven't seen ever in the past, quite a bit elevated. The uh, Gen X and Millennials are about the same. Boomers are slightly behind. And, yes, I mean, uh, the royalty rate for the quarter was 6.3%. Um, versus 6.4 last year, and that's really just mix of stores that were open and billing last year compared to this year. No no fundamental structural change or anything. Perfect. Thank you. And then any just any notable difference in economics for Mexico versus the U.S. as you roll that out? No, not really. No, the, the royalty rates and, and all that, the development of the, the 80 stores over five years, 
Um, it's a big group out of Mexico, and they partnered with one of our largest here, U.S. franchisees, who has almost 100 locations. Um, the, uh, you might have read the press release, but the, um, the group there has uh, they brought uh, Forever 21 Old Navy as well to, to Mexico. So I think it will be a great partnership uh, that has a lay of the land there. Great. Let's talk for the rest of the year, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Simeon. Next question is from Peter Keith from Viper Sander. Your line is now open. Hey, uh, thanks, everyone, and my congratulations as well on the continued progress. Uh, quick question, I guess, for the, the revenue guide that you provided at 530 to 540, what would you have uh, roughly for a, a year-end uh, member count to get to that range? Hey, Peter, it's Tom. Uh, we, we actually don't provide guidance on the on the member outlook. And as you know, you know, things are still kind of fluid. But um, in a typical year, we, we've seen very unseasonable uh, trends in membership this year, as Chris alluded to. Uh, and, you know, on our last call, it was a couple data points. Now it's more data points as we've gone through the quarter and into July. Um, and typically a store would lose some membership. Some, some, some members in the back half of the year. Um, so we try to put our best thinking in taking an atypical year versus what typically happens and stir all that together to come up with how, how we guided revenue. But unfortunately, we don't provide membership outlooks. Okay, fair enough. Um, and, and my follow-up question is just on the the, the, the pace of the uh, of gym, new gym openings, you've, you've guided us behind the range for 2021. I know you're not guiding for 2022, but I guess I'm interested in how the conversations with franchisees are evolving. I think in the past you've talked about franchisees maybe wanting to get through that January selling season before making uh, go or no-go decisions on uh, 22 openings. Is that changing based on this, this faster member recovery path that you're seeing? It, could we see gyms open up sooner in, in 22 based on the comments you're getting? Yeah, Peter, I think the the way we look at it is, you know, when, when, when things shut down, uh, you know, back early last year, uh, and when it became apparent this was going to last for a while, uh, as we've mentioned on, on some previous calls, the franchisees really shut down, you know, all their development activities, you know, furloughing, uh, even some of the real estate folks on the team, because uh, they really weren't, you know, they didn't know when they'd get back into kind of building new stores. And as you, you know, as we progress throughout the, uh, 2021, and, and quite frankly, coming into or 2020, and then coming into 2021, with all the concerns around you know, what would happen after the holidays, uh, with respect to uh, to COVID-19, and then the vaccination rates, you know, were just starting. The vaccines were just becoming available, and you know, it's obviously it's still continuing to increase. Uh, some states better than others in terms of the vaccination rates and, and people more likely to you know, kind of get out and try to get about their, their daily lives. And, and I, quite frankly, as Chris said earlier, I think it's the reasons we're seeing uh, some of the trends we're having today. So when you take all that into consideration, obviously franchisees with their own portfolio of stores, they see you know, what's going on with their business, and we obviously give them updates in terms of the system. 
and the the encouragement that you know not only we have at corporate but they have in their own individual market or markets uh they see these trends you know uh, real time as well and that's why as as tom uh indicated in our guidance that we believe will be at the high end of, of that range that we had previously put out uh so franchisees are clearly out there you know starting to to do their deals again you know, the, the the issue obviously is is the time frame. Um, you know, beginning to end in kind of a normal uh, timeline circumstance, it's about nine months from the time that you say, okay, I want to try to find a location in this particular market, and you start uh, you know working with your your real estate team internally, your commercial real estate brokers, uh, with our team, our corporate team that we have uh, to try to put a number of sites out there for consideration and then start negotiating, you know, LOIs and how much tenant improvement allowances they'll give you, et cetera. It's about a nine-month process to ultimately get it open. And so here we are now, you know, in uh, in the back half of the year, uh, franchisees clearly are, are out in the markets now and, and, you know, starting to do deals, certainly starting to get LOIs going. Uh, at this point, you know, we're, we're clearly not back. At that run rate we were when, you know, when this all kind of came down last year in March. Um, and, you know, a lot of that is just frankly the timeline to get there. I think you've heard us say before, and, and we certainly are saying it again, is that we've got a, a ton of confidence in the model and what has happened in terms of the recovery to this point. And it gives us a lot of confidence that we can get back into the kind of growth that we had before. It's just a matter of, of, you know, when and not if. And so at this point, you know, as Tom said, we're not commenting on 2022, but we can say that clearly the the franchisees' willingness to get out there and start surfacing sites uh, is, is certainly better than it was even, you know, 60, 90 days ago. All right. That's great. Very helpful. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Thanks. Next question is from Paul Golding from Macquarie. Your line is now open. Yeah, thanks for taking the question. Uh, my first question is if you have any update on Australia and the rollout there, given the prolonged snap lockdowns that we've seen over the last uh, several weeks. Yeah, sure. Hey, uh, so I think, you know, we just have a few stores there, um, but we, we get an update from our franchisees and, it is sort of on again, off again. It's tough, but I think overall, when they're when they're open, the, the trends that they see are still encouraging them, and they're forging ahead with their development uh, plans for the future. So that 35-unit uh, uh, estimate over the next several years is still the the target for now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Big four of the five is closed right now. It should be open maybe by the end of the month, but it's moving target. Yeah. Got it. And then on PF Plus, were there any other engagement stats you could give uh, with respect to number of, of workouts in a particular month that a unique might be doing, just to get a sense of of the uptake there and, and any sense, I guess, as a follow-on to Oliver's question around, is this, you know, intended to be top of funnel? Do you see it evolving into um, more of a standalone, maybe with um, its own its own branding and marketing? How should, how should we think about that in the model? 
Yeah, sure, yeah. So it's still, you know, still a lot of testing to be had here. Um, we haven't released any subscription numbers yet, but I think there's a couple ways to look at it, too, is that there's also um, a lot of app holders that aren't even PF Plus subscribers. So to your, to your comment about being top of funnel, you're exactly right. So there's a lot of people that engage with the app as unpaying members that convert to bricks and mortar and sometimes convert to PF Plus first. So it's kind of a top to funnel, and it really is one of the marketing vehicle for us. Um, but we have seen out of the people, out of the people that were subscribers to PF Plus, that were non-bricks and mortar members, um, it was 40% now have converted to bricks and mortar. Um, first quarter was 30%, and the fourth quarter was 20%. So you see how people are engaging with PF Plus and then becoming bricks and mortar members after the fact. Um, and also 70% of the members who have PF Plus have also used bricks and mortar at the same time. So they're they're definitely engaged. Um, and about 80% of the subscribers are actually current Planet Fitness members who have gone on to, to pay more for more. Um, and the majority of those are Black Card members, which is um, hence why we're doing the test of the bundle as well, to see if we can get more price out of just all Black Card members, not just people who opt in for it. So uh, a lot of learnings to be had, um, but I think it's just how we look at the top of funnel. Out of, the, out of all the app holders, uh, about, nine, about 12 million downloads, 9 million of the members, the other 3 million are our non-members or lapsed members that still have the app that we're able to engage with or engage with the app. So um, a lot more to be had there and be learned from, but um, but we do have a lot of people that just have the app that are not even paid subscribers that we can convert as well. So um, just a lot more engagement to be had and uh, to learn from. Great. Thanks so much for that, Chris. Appreciate it. Yep. Love The next question is from Chris O'Call from CFL. Your line is now open. Thanks. Good afternoon, guys. Um, Tom, I apologize if I missed this, but how much of the equipment revenue this quarter was re-equipped, and how should we think about the ramp and replacement equipment revenue for the balance of the year? Yeah, hey, Chris. Sure thing. So in Q2, it was 60% of revenue, um, brings the first half to about 45% of total equipment revenue. Um, and so we, we said that for the full year, uh, we're staying with what we said on the last call, which is um, the re-equips would constitute about 50% of our full-year uh, equipment revenue. Okay, that's helpful. And then is the net off-season growth you're seeing from either – is it from higher gross signups or lower cancellations or both? And I'm just curious if you've seen retain, retention change at all from the May-June promos after the initial month compared to maybe similar type of promos that you ran prior to COVID? Yeah, it, it's both, actually. And and we're just seeing, you know, it's almost like the, the year is almost upside down. You know, our May, you know, June was 20 times June of 2019. And, you know, our May our May expiration on our sale was the highest net member um, growth day, even outside of January this year. So definitely demand is upside down, and people are coming in higher now than they did in the first quarter, um, certainly last year, that's for sure. So, um, so yeah, I think it's just people are out and about and resurging. The, the business is just totally different than what we've ever seen before. So I think there's a lot of factors in closings, people paying more attention to their health and wellness. Um, and I think it's, you know, time will tell when God forbid anything happens crazy in the world with the Delta variant. But, you know, I, I think this could be a long-term trend that we see for the years ahead. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Last question is from Alex Ferry from Bank of America. Your line is now open. Hi, thanks for taking my question. Um, 
Chris, I think in the prepared remarks you made a comment that it's, you know, hard to see whether those unseasonal joins will continue. Maybe could you talk through the cancellation rate of new joins within the first few months versus normalized levels, you know, especially with uh, some of the no-commitment promos you guys have been running? Thanks. Yeah, we haven't seen any any change in any kind of retention or or attrition or or increased attrition without any kind of commitments or anything like that. Um, so nothing there has changed. So that, that's all good news. Um, and one of the things we're, we've seen in a lot of consumer studies is the no commitment messaging um, is almost more important than the actual enrollment fee discount. It's people just want to know that, you know, if, if they can get out, they can. And a lot of our members, you know, 40% have one to a gym in their life. They're already thinking about how do I cancel this thing before I join, <laughs> you know, and it's unfortunate, but that's kind of the, this industry has kind of been notoriously bad for cancellation policies, and we want to make it, break down all those barriers. So, um, but the good news is we haven't seen any increased attrition with those sort of offers. Perfect. That's really helpful. Best of luck going forward. Thank you. Appreciate Thanks, Alex. That ends our question and answer session. I'll turn the call back over to the presenters for closing remarks. Good. Thank you, operator. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. It's, um, as you can tell in our tone, we're, we could be more excited with the momentum the business has. Um, something that I've never seen in my almost 30 years here, um, and, and excited as well that not only our, our staff here but our franchisees um, feel the same sentiment. And I think this is um, what we were all hoping that was going to happen, and quite frankly, um, higher than we expected it would be, even though we knew it was going to come back. That um, the psyche of the customer, they just want to get back and get back to health and fitness, and now more than ever. So all good news, and um, I look forward to the bullishness of the franchisees and getting back to development and growth and um, getting more people off the couch. So thank you all. That concludes today's conference call. Thank you all for participating. You may now disconnect.